0: Make a response to what um, I'm going to give you something autobiographical now. In 1977, a woman came to the church that I was a member of, and I, I didn't have any views on prophecy in those days. And the book was um, uh, Samuel Peter Gellis and Daniel. So I read the book and was thoroughly blessed by it, so much so that I wrote to the address that was inside the book, which was a a Pastor James Payne. And in response, he sent me some old back copies of uh, Watching and Waiting, uh, which I devoured. But what I liked was the fact that everything that he said, I could find myself from scripture. He was saying that literally scripture comments on scripture. And scripture that's not understood can be understood by scripture that is understood. One of them I remember was um, the seven spirits of God in Revelation. And he took me back to uh, Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And I just thought, what what a faithful rendering. That there's no interpretation here. There's no special knowledge. There's no twisting of scripture. It is giving to us what was there. And I read another article on the, um, the furniture of the tabernacle. And the way that he explained it and explained it fully that these things point to Christ were a great blessing to me. Um, so I said that to say this. If I was to recommend a book from the Sovereign Grace Act of Testimony that was a blessing for me, we would be here to midnight. Because there are allteen books. I don't think I found a bad book. Um, from the SGAD, and I don't think you can find them from any other publisher worldwide, that you can pick up a book and you know you're going to be fed, you're going to be instructed, you're definitely going to be edified and challenged, and you're going to be at the end of it saying, I want to be a Bible student, I want to be a Bible student, I want to be one that can gain from this. That's a plug for the SGD for tonight. Um, Tonight I want to develop a little further what we mentioned this afternoon about in the scripture we have definite beginnings an indefinite duration and a definite end. And we said that that could be true um, of the passage of um, Matthew 13. That tells us the beginning, duration, and the end. And literally, it's the history of the church. Christendom. Secondly, the history of the nations of the world. With, from Daniel chapter two, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and the times of the Gentiles, the duration of time, in which we are still in the times of the Gentiles now, Paul tells us that, ending with the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we looked at the main theme for the afternoon, which was, as God were a purpose for Israel for the future. And we took that from basically two passages, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapters 28 through thirty-one. And we showed there was a definite beginning, Israel going into the land, we cannot deny that. They were promised blessings or cursings, depending on their obedience or disobedience. And that there would also be a definite end when God would bring the unconditional covenant to Israel at the end of time. So all Israel would be saved. So I think we've, we've got the picture there. What I want to do this evening is to fill in a little bit more with the subject that we have tonight. Um, will the temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem? And we have to be up front here because we are honest Christians dealing with honest truth. There's not a verse in the scripture that God gives to say that the temple will be rebuilt. that isn't there. However, this is why we did this long process this afternoon to show us that things during the durational period, if they have a definite beginning and a definite ending, we can place that in that place. So we're going to be looking at the Intermediate tonight, more of the durational of, of that period. Right. So um, let me just give you a little picture of where we're going. Uh, we're going to answer the question: Will the temple will be rebuilt? Um, um, we're going to have a look at how does the New Testament look at the word temple, um, and then three things: Will the temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem? Paul's answer. Will the temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem? John's answer. Will the temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem? The supreme answer, our Lord Jesus Christ's answer. I do have a section on the millennial temple, but as time allows, we shall maybe or may not get to that part. But what we will look at will be um, an integrated whole. First of all, the question, will the temple be rebuilt in Jerusalem? That is what we're looking at tonight. And this is in response to the the overall purpose, where are we in God's calendar? Now, to answer that question, we have to um, ask, Which temple? Because I believe that there are two temples that will be rebuilt in the future which will be different. There will be the one at the end of this age in which we are a part of and I believe there will be another bigger, better runner in the millennium. The one at the end of this age will suffer um, sacrilege the one in the next age the millennial age the glory will return and remain and there will be no darkness it. right so to further build up this answer let me look at it in three areas the temple in this age well it began with a little portable tabernacle built by Moses. However, it was built according to what the Lord said. Exactly. Not Moses' ideas, not Bezalel, who was the physical maker, but according to God's pattern. But that was superseded, wasn't it? We know that The Temple of Solomon was built, and it was a magnificent temple, and instead of it being a temporary, it was a permanent structure built in Jerusalem with foundations, walls, stones. And then there was, that temple was destroyed, wasn't it, because of Israel's unfaithfulness by Nebuchadnezzar, the one that we mentioned earlier. Times of the Gentiles began. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And then at the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, another temple was built. Less magnificent. Not as large. In fact, I'm sure you all remember that picture that we have, that when the temple was built, there were two types of crying. I mean, there always, there's always just two types of crying. There was the crying because those that were young and, and wanted to, to worship, they were happy. Wow, there's a new temple for us. But the older ones that remembered the old, they cried because it was less so magnificent. And... That temple that was built then was enlarged and enhanced by um, King Herod, and was still, in fact, uh, being uh, built even at the time when our Lord was upon the earth. And remember, it's mentioned in the Gospels, 46 years was this place in um, erection and that was again destroyed. By the Romans in 70 A.D. So, will the temple be rebuilt? Temple Mount, as we saw just last week, was Easter. Yes, it was. We, we saw last week, and there were all those disturbances on Temple on, on Temple Mount, and and the, the, the Dome of Omar. Um, um, the Muslims didn't like it because Russian and uh, Russian—that's so much in our mind just now—is um, um, really boots were inside the temple. Um, so there's not a temple there present, and neither indeed can there be while this um, the dome of the Mok is there, because it is on the same site as the old Jewish temple. So, not only is there not a temple there just now, there cannot be a temple built at this time. However, there's going to be, in the future, a covenant made, Daniel chapter 9, in which (coughs) a man who comes to Israel in his own name, we mentioned this afternoon, John 5 43. he will come in his own name, make a covenant with Israel and a temple will be built where there will be worship and a sacrificial system and this is what I'm going to do. this is my task tonight to prove this right Right, so, little, just a little work on the use of the word Temple in the New Testament. I found in my studies um, that it's used some roughly 110 times. Um, it's found mostly, and this is to my surprise, not in the Gospel or or an an individual gospel, but mostly found in the Acts of the Apostles. So we can sometimes be surprised in our Bible studies, what we don't expect. Um, And found in a number of books in the New Testament. Now there are eight different uses of the word temple in the New Testament. By far, it is the physical temple that was then in Jerusalem. Ninety-four times it's used. Four times it is used in the New Testament. The temple of our body, the body of the believer. Once it is used, the temple of Diana, the false, in the Acts of the Apostles. Another time it is used of the temple of idols. Another time the temple of the church. Uh, The temple in heaven, mentioned ten times, so it's the second largest of these uh, uh, of these uh, usages. Um, once there is no temple, because the eighth one is God is the temple. That is in the, uh, the new habits, in the new earth, further on from the millennium. 94 times it's used of the physical temple. I wonder if that. Is significant for us. To condition our minds that this is maybe exactly what we should be thinking of, the physical temple in Jerusalem. Right, we're going to be looking at three passages of Scripture tonight. The one that we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians. Secondly, uh, the one in Revelation 11 And then we're going to go to that passage that I mentioned earlier this afternoon, the one in Matthew 24. And if the divine formula that we've looked at of finding a definite beginning with a durational period and a definite ending, then where we possibly do not have a definite beginning, because we always have a definite ending, we maybe we don't have a definite beginning, but we see in something the durational, then we can place that truth in that period and find a definite beginning. Oh, I hope that will become clear <laughs> as <we coughs> um So, the reference to the temple um, is found in the context in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 verse 5 through 2 11. Now in that passage there it's a continuous passage. And I often state this to people. um, Sometimes beware of chapter divisions. Chapter divisions are there and verse divisions are there and they're both good. But let us not slavishly Hold to them because sometimes as um, we find in a number of passages of, of scripture especially in the book of Revelation there are um, times when the chapter of division shouldn't be there and you know what we're like as humans we see the end of a chapter, we stop that's my reading for today Let me come back the next day and read the next chapter in division and we've forgotten that well, there's a big connection between that and which I read yesterday. And maybe I should have read both of them together. That would be a mess. That would indeed. So. The temple of God has been understood in a number of ways. Some people, and I'm thinking of hysterists here, say, oh well, the temple, it's the temple of the heart. Some say that. Some say it's the church of Rome in Rome, St. Peter's. Some say it's the church of Rome in general, no particular place. Some say it's the church in general, no particular place. So that's their options. In saying those things, they would deny that it would be literal. And that's what we believe. We believe it will be literal. And I'm hoping to, to prove that today. All of these, however, uh, are conjectures suited to whatever prophetic system of interpretation is used. The idea is made and it is squeezed. So if you believe it's a temple of the heart, you will be able to squeeze out a physical. And you will be able to build up a system on it being the temple of the heart. When it's not. And same with the others. It's amazing. I know many people think it's the, um, um, the Church of Rome in Rome. Um, never been called a temple. Not even by the Romans themselves. Um, not looked upon by Protestants. Because remember, that when the Antichrist comes, it's not just going to be a single group he is going to affect, it's going to be others. So you see, if you say it's the Church of Rome within Rome, then you're saying, well, what's going to do with Protestants? Muslims, Jews, Hindus, and others. When we know that these will all be affected by the work of the Antichrist. If you were to say, what Antichrist you guys going to sit in the, in the temple of God in Rome? What's that to a Muslim? <sighs> Nothing. What's that to a Muslim? What's that to a Jew? Nothing. Nothing. It would only affect people who don't look upon it as a temple. The Romanists themselves. Anyway. However, if we simply come to the scripture, and allow the scripture to speak and to understand it in context, then we allow God, the Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. The temple in the New Testament, the actual temple at Jerusalem. Right. Let's look at the temple in context. I want us to show that this passage here has a definite beginning. Um, No, before I say that, I want to say this. The temple and the three texts we have tonight all speak of an event. Now keep that in your mind. A single event. It's not a process which has been continuing for 2,000 years. You see, people that do not believe that these things are future have to squeeze them into the past or bring them into the present and they say, well, it's not an event, it's a process of time. So they try to get one event in scripture and they see, pull it like, as one would do an elastic band that you know what you do happens when you pull an elastic band? It becomes thinner and thinner until you pull it and it breaks. It becomes thin It's not a series of events either, which have continued for 2,000 years. Because then you've got nothing definite. But what we're going to look at tonight is an event. And it's an event which has to be fulfilled. Not one fulfilled in the past. For example, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's not a series of events in the last 1500 years after the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. It's a single event. And our passages precludes all these other negative conclusions. So let's look at our text here. In 1 Thessalonians, sorry, 2 Thessalonians, the context of the passage has a definite beginning, a very definite beginning. It has, as its beginning, a prediction, a prediction of the second advent. Now, I want this for a moment, I know I've been giving you the illustration of beginning, duration, ending, but I want to give you the illustration now of a bookshelf in your house, a bookshelf. And there are a number of books on that bookshelf, and there is a bookend on this side, and a bookend on this side. The first bookend we're going to look up is the definite beginning. And this is the promise of the 2nd Advent. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed. Notice, it's not he has been revealed, it is when he shall be revealed. So it's not the 1st Advent, it's the 2nd Advent. And that's built up more in verse 7. With his mighty angels and then we see this is fleshed out with more detail, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power so notice that, it's not the Lord's first advent when he comes in love with grace and mercy this is second advent, when he is coming in judgment and to bring judgment upon uh, the the godless nations of this earth. But also it tells us he shall be uh, come to be glorified in his saints. Verse 10. To be admired of all them that believe. Now and this is where we must go into the next chapter because it's a continuation now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Here's the first book uh, bookend. And the first bookend is there to keep the rest of the books in place. And this is our first definite beginning. So if it's a first definite beginning, everything that comes in between it till the definite ending must be in that period. It can't be transported, taken to another place. It can't be taken uh, as a text, out of context, and made a pretext. It has to be taken in that section. Now, these things are important, very important. Now, these are all glorious predictions here that the Apostle Paul, by divine revelation is giving to us. So, what about the intervening duration, or as I'm putting it in this illustration, what are the individual books within this section? So we have the prediction of our Lord's second coming, and the other book end will be the actual second coming of the Lord. So what happens in between? This is what we didn't look at in detail this afternoon. This is what we're going to look at now. First of all, there's a book of suffering. Look at verse 5 of chapter chapter 1. It's a book of suffering. This is part of our life in this life. This is an aspect of the kingdom of God for us as believers. That we might be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which we also suffer. The Apostle calls it a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Manifest speaks of the aspects of this being observed by men and devils and angels. So, in this suffering we are not to be troubled, verse 7 tells us that, but we are to rest with the Apostle and with all believers in Christ. So we see this first book, it tells us that this age, between the prediction of our Lord's first, the second advent and the actual second advent, is going to be a time of suffering for the Lord's people. Now I know that maybe we're not suffering, but we should see that there are many suffering. There's hardly a country in Africa where the Christians are not being persecuted. Not to say what's happening in Ukraine just now. And in surrounding countries. North Korea. Afghanistan. Pakistan. Little little boy stoned to death there just recently. A boy. For being a Christian. Many ways we have it easy here. (coughs) Maybe too easy. But what we were to do in suffering... Is to rest in the Lord Jesus. That's what we are in this age. So this age is an age of suffering until we are released from this suffering by our Lord Jesus Christ in His second Advent. Now there's another book on the shelf and it's the Book of Warning, verse 10. Initially for the Thessalonian believers because our testimony was believed uh, among you was believed in the day that they were warned in Paul's mission. Now, uh, let me just read verses 11 and 12 again. Remember, this is a book of warning. Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfil the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have here a book of warning. book of suffering, book of warning. Also, it's a book of assurance. Chapter 2, verse 2. That the day of the Lord was near at hand it was not near as will soon be explained as an imminency you know certain events had to come to pass um, and be manifested in the world before um, the Lord comes back again but this assurance the Lord tells us not to be troubled in soul or body I've been giving a lot of thought recently to the soul you know, we give a lot of thought to the body, don't we? We clothe it. We feed it. We exercise it. We do many things with the body. What do we do with the soul? We have to continuously feed the soul. We have to feed upon the spiritual flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to feed him, that into our souls on an hourly, daily basis. Minutely basis, we're to feed our souls. We don't often miss a meal for our bodies. But I wonder how many of us are guilty of missing a spiritual meal for the soul. Once in a day, twice in a day, once in a week, twice in a week. Feed the soul. shall not come except. Now, there's an interesting word. Let's read that to you. Let no man deceive you by any means, that that day shall not come except. You know, it's amazing how all these words of Scripture each have a meaning. We sometimes place more meaning on certain words in a passage or in a verse than in others, where well, we should look upon each word as having equally as an important meaning as every other word or thought. The word accept is very important there. Let no one deceive you by any means that they shall not come, it would come, it will not come to pass, except there come the falling away first. You know what that word is? the word apostasy. They're falling away first, and yet there are some Christians that say, oh no, things are getting better, the gospel is progressing, souls are being saved, great things are being done, or maybe not so much in Britain, but in other parts of the world, the gospel is marching on. But that's not what Paul says. That day will not come except there comes the apostasy. That's what is going to happen. We don't want it to happen. We don't pray for it to happen. We pray for other things. We pray that the Lord might revive us in these days. We pray that the Lord might awaken sinners. But that day will come. That day will come. There comes the apostasy. And worse still, I've had something bad enough. And worse still, that man of sin shall be revealed the son of perdition now what kind of man is this well he's called the man of sin the son of perdition there's another man who was a man of uh, the son of perdition that was judas and he be revealed so there's going to be an apostasy and What the word apostasy means, it's not an apostasy in the world, it's an apostasy in the church. It's a turning away from that which was once there, highly regarded, and now, not likely of. So, there are three, three books on the shelf. A book of suffering, a book of warning, book of assurance. But it's also a book, the next book along the shelf, the fourth one, the one which, um, if I was looking along the shelf and looking at the names, I would probably pick out first, um, because it's a book of prophecy. Um, The book of prophetic details. And in this book, there are five chapters in this book, all put in the passage here. Now this is, these are the things that I mentioned that are durational. So, we're going to suffer in this age. We have to be warned in this age. We will have assurance in this age that these things will happen. But if we have a book of prophetic detail. Well, the first one will we see. The apostasy will come first. Verse 3. The lowest one. That's the second chapter. The man of sin will be revealed. Notice it is the man of sin. Note, it's a single individual. How many books have I read and messages that I've listened to and a lot of them in sermon audio um, that speak about it's the man that's alive at that time or it's the man that represents the position, the Pope. No, no, it's a single man because this single man is going to be dealt with at the second advent. So we're not going to see opting popes there alive at the one time, or a system. It's a single individual with a single event. Another chapter in this book of prophecy is... um, um, at the adversary who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, he will be against the triune God, he will be against the truth, he will be against the church, the bride of Christ, he will be against the worship of the one true God. We could spend more time on this, but we, we really we really have to move on. Yes, we have to move on. And then Another chapter in this book, is a, book uh, is a chapter called Temple Worship. Now here we're getting to what we're saying, will the temple be rebuilt? Well, you see, uh, this, this is our text really for this passage, is, is, is verse 4. Let's read it together. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, when you read that verse, in the context of what we've seen already, from the first bookend end, through all the separate books that will be in this life and experienced by us, we come to the Book of Prophecy, and it gives us all these details, and we see here that there is an individual coming, who will substitute God for himself. He will substitute worship and he will deceive people to worship him. The book of Revelation tells us that those that receive the Mark of the Beast, 666, um, will be those that worship him. He plans to do this manifesting, so that he is seen by all. So. It cannot, it rules out being the temple of the heart, does it not? Because that cannot be seen. He plans to do this in the temple of God. Now we state that there is not a direct reference, I stated that earlier, to the actual building of the temple. But here we have a very clear inference. The temple of God in both the Old Testament and New Testament has been the place that God loved and placed His name. Just go through your Old Testament and use a highlighter, I sometimes use highlighters, and mark that place, the place where the Lord loves to put His name. Just mark it. It's amazing how many times you will mark that. Mentioned lots of times. So. This place has to be in Jerusalem, in the temple there, in the holy of the holiest. This is where this antichrist, this anti-God, will brazenly come out to be publicly worshipped. This has always been one of Satan's great ambitions. Look at verse nine of chapter two. Even him who is after the working of Satan with all power and signs. And lying wonders. He's the one that's behind all this. Now we may ask ourselves, when will all this happen? Well, there's a fifth chapter in the book of prophecy. On these, how many books did we have on the shelf? We had um, four, four books on the shelf. And this is the fifth chapter in the last book. There is a restrainer. At the moment, until the lawless one is revealed, there is a divine restrainer, you find that in verse 6. This is a preventative which will not allow this to happen until God's timing is set. The mystery of iniquity already abounds. It began in the time of the apostles and has grown and developed since that day, till this, until <coughs> the maturity of you. Many Christians look at passages like 1 Timothy 4, times so come, and say, that was fulfilled then. Because if it wasn't fulfilled then, it has no relevance to the people that Paul wrote to. Well, we don't deny that. We don't deny that there was apostasy then. But we say that there will be a developing, continuously maturing, developing apostasy until the time of the very end. Do we believe it will happen? Remember what I said today when we were, my introduction? We're seeing things on our television happening in Ukraine that we would never have thought would have happened in the 21st century. Mm. We thought all these things were behind us, that this would never happen again. God could be given such freedom and liberty to do such evil and wicked things to men, women, children. Over a quarter of that country are refugees now, over 11 million people. We thought this could never happen happening. We're seeing the face of evil happening today. But it's nothing compared to this time in the future when there will be the wicked one coming deceiving all that will trust and look to him to be the, well initially, the man of peace. Or the man who will solve all things. Well, when will this happen? Until the divine restraint is removed, verse 1 7. Until the lawless one is revealed in the midst. So God will restrain until the Antichrist is revealed in the midst. And then, for a period of three and a half years, he will uh, 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 manifest himself with godlessness and evil upon this earth. For the Jews, it will be the time of Jacob's struggle. A brother that was with us this afternoon was speaking of this period, and he says, "Not many believe in the Jacob's struggle. Not many believe in the tribulation." Well. Jacob's trouble. Two thirds will be destroyed of the nation of Israel. That will be alive at that time. For the world, it will be a tribulation. Well, what kind of a tribulation? Well, Matthew 24 tells us, such as have never been seen before. What are we seeing on television just now? Horrible Godless, wicked, evil things. That will pale into insignificance to the great tribulation that will come upon the earth. Jacob's trouble for the Jews, tribulation for the people of God and for Christendom. Right. I think in the sakes of in the sake of time, I'm only going to mention the other bookend. We've looked at the first bookend which is the beginning of these things the prediction of the second advent the the four books on the shelf the last book with the the five chapters in it on prophecy and that's all tucked in there, that's the durational period. And then we have the final bookend or the final definite end which is the actual second coming of our Lord. Let us just read it together there verse 8. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with what? The spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So that would be the actual second advent. So what I'm saying to people is you cannot take the events between the prediction and the fulfilment. definite beginning and the definite end and you can't take them out there and put them somewhere else. You can't take those four books and put them somewhere else. They have to be left exactly where they are. And so the implication for us is that there will be a temple there in Jerusalem which is going to be desecrated by the Antichrist. I could have said more on that one there but we'll leave it there for the sake of time. Just wait; the tape has changed over. Sorry. Now that was Paul's answer. What about John's answer? Well, I turn you now to the Book of Revelation, chapter eleven, uh, verses one through nineteen. In Verse 1, John is bid to rise and measure the temple of God. Which temple does God refer to? We might legitimately ask that question. Well, first of all, it cannot be the one mentioned in Revelation 3.12. For that is the temple of the overcomers, and it's in heaven. So it can't be that one, so we eliminate that. One. And, they, and the overcomers are made pillars in that temple. Not going out, for they will be in the presence of God. In the New Jerusalem, chapter 21, verse 21, where there is no temple for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb and the temple of it. So it can't be that one. Secondly, it cannot be the present temple in heaven upon which the earthly was patterned. For that's in heaven. When John, when John was told to measure it, John is not at that time on the earth. Now this is when you look, looking at the book of Revelation reading through, John is sometimes in heaven and sometimes on the earth. If you go to chapter 10 verse 1, which is the context of chapter 11, you will find that he is on the earth. That's his viewpoint. He's looking up. Notice the sea and the earth are mentioned, verses 2, 5 and 8. And he hears a voice from heaven, verse 8 of chapter 10. So, it can't be the temple in heaven. Thirdly, it can't be the temple that our Lord Jesus visited. Remember our Lord came to the temple, he was eight days old the first time, and then there was the time when he was twelve, he's a recorded scripture, and then there were the times of his ministry. But it can't be that temple. Why? Because when John wrote this, or when John was given this revelation, that temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed at least 20, if not 30, years earlier. So it can't be that one either. Yet, John's on the earth, and he's told to measure it. has to be a future temple, and a physical temple. Because, why would you measure? You cannot measure something which is spiritual. You have to be able to measure something that is physical. When I was an engineer a long time ago, um, we had to be precise with measuring, so much so that we had vernier callipers. It means nothing to you, but what it means is that you, 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 you close something on something, and gently, and if you move it, then you can get an exact reading. Very easy for people today, you get digital readouts, but in our day we take out all the little um, um, stokes. Um, to measure something, you have to be precise. Whatever measuring tool you use, I remember as a schoolboy in our playground in the village, we were told 12 inches, one foot, 3 feet, one yard. Twenty-two yards, one chain. Oh, it's a chain. Well, the headmaster took us out, and there was this great big long chain. One boy held it at one end, a girl held it at the other end. We all supported in between, and that was a chain. But it was a measuring tool for measuring fields, small fields. Because he used to use larger things to measure large fields. A measuring tool by its
1: very nature
0: has to be precise. The Lord has told us uh, that in the scriptures. Adjust weight, adjust balance. Not one weight for buying and another weight for selling. To be honest. So anything that you measure with has to be accurate. And so John is told to live it, verse 1, to measure it. And he's told to measure even different parts. Verse 2, the court is mentioned there. And there's also a restriction for things not to measure. Now, if that's something spiritual, or it's made to make something spiritual, well then you can do anything with Scripture. You can twist it and suit it to suit yourself.
1: Why was it measured? measure? Because it was given
0: unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread on their feet forty-two months. Now I haven't mentioned that before, have I? But I mentioned three and a half years. Three and a half years, forty-two months, is the same period of time. And the, what is that again? Now we're speaking about another measuring tool, a time measuring tool. And we find this in the scriptures. Three and a half years. It's the last three and a half years that we saw this afternoon, that we've seen earlier tonight. And now we see here that John is is told to, to, to measure this. So, the temple is very clearly there at the beginning of the 42 months and at the end of the 42 months. So here we're getting our smaller... Definite start and definite end. And of course, we know at the end of this, in chapter 11, verse 15, the final, the seventh and final trumpet sounds. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Nations shall be judged. In verse 18, servants will be revoir, uh, rewarded in the same verse. And these events, sandwiched, start with, with, the, with the beginning of the 42 months and end with it. Now there's a lot of things that happen between that time. Um, in verses 3 through 12, two witnesses are told to prophesy for 42 months. Minus, of course, three and a half days at the end of the age, in verse 11, in which they are resurrected. I believe that this coincides um, with the first resurrection. And then also, during this period of time, there is a great earthquake, verse 13, 10% of the city is destroyed. When has this ever happened? This is the second woe. So we've seen that all these events in chapter 11, up to the end of verse 15, are earthly not heavenly, with a definite starting point in in history and a definite ending point. So the definite implications are that sometime prior to the last three and a half years of Daniel's week of years, Mm -hmm. a temple will be rebuilt, re-established, functioning in Jerusalem. Um, Daniel mentions this in chapter 9 verses. 26 through 27, um, that during the period of the last week or the last seven years, Antichrist will break his covenant. So, peace at the beginning, devastation halfway through and to the end for Israel. For the first three and a half years, Israel will use the temple in a place of worship underneath. Antichrist's um, oversight. Sacrifices and oblations will cease. Verse 27 of Daniel 9. That's halfway through the week. The covenant is broken. Antichrist will set up the abomination of desolation. (coughs) Now this abomination of desolation, I think I'm bringing it out. Yes, I'll bring it out in a minute. Um, He will set up the abomination of desolation and be worship there. I'm hurrying on now to our final section. Will the temple be rebuilt? Our Lord's answer. Now in our last consideration we mentioned the abomination of desolation uh, from Daniel. This is found in our next and third and final section tonight, Matthew chapter 24, which I would ask you to turn to now Uh, because there are a number of things that I just want to point out. Um, Our text obviously has to be verse 15 because details from verse 3 to verse 14 are general statements. There's nothing particular. But when you come to verse 15, it's a very particular statement. The abomination of desolation. Now before we can discuss this, We have to establish a number of things. Now this is what I said to you before, that in Matthew, whilst it has a definite ending and a duration, where does it actually begin? The whole testimony of the first three Gospels, we're going to look at that. The criticism of the the detractors of our position, we're going to test it against scripture. And we're going to do this in a straightforward manner. You will notice in Matthew 24, that in verse 3, um, there is a private transaction, which must imply a public transaction. So it means that when the Lord mentioned this as he came out of the temple, there were other people listening as well as the disciples it may have been a larger group of disciples. But his disciples come to him in verse 1, and they say, What about all these stones, this wonderful, magnificent building? And our Lord's answer in verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily well, I say unto you, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now that's a statement, and that's an important statement. But what we're going to say in a moment. And then the disciples come to him privately. And they ask him three questions. Right? Let's establish the three questions. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming? What shall be the end of the age? And I also want you to, to note, um, note other two things in the passage. There are two little phrases which will help me to understand this passage and put them into the correct context. It's the word, all these things, verses 3, 6 and 8. And also, those days, found in verse 19, twice in verse 22, and once in verse 29. They will help us to answer the three questions. Right, what's the first question? The disciples want to know When shall these things be? This relates specifically to the destruction of the present temple in Jerusalem. There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now I believe that these don't just deal with the temple in Jerusalem. I believe that they deal with the houses in Jerusalem uh, and the shops and places of works and the walls. because our Lord said, Matthew 23, verse 37, um, of the city and the people, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, to answer the first question of the disciples, we have to confess that the answer is not found here in the passage. And this is one of the big criticisms that some of our um, detractors will say to us, Well, look, the Lord here uh, um, is not answering the question, the first question of the disciples. Um, he answers the second and third questions fully in Matthew. I believe he answers the question in Luke chapter 21. Verses 20 through 24. And that is the same context. It's the same context, but Matthew doesn't mention it. And we might say, and our friends say to us, oh, well, that's convenient for you. But, you know, it's not unusual for Matthew. Because, do you remember when the Lord Jesus was in a crowd and there were people pressing upon him and there was a woman that came in, she was, had 12 years with this medical complaint that she had and she said within her heart, If I may touch the Lord's garment, I shall be made whole. Well, you know, Matthew
1: doesn't mention
0: that the Lord said, Who touched me? Matthew doesn't mention that. He turns around and said to the woman, he addresses her, he speaks to her, the woman that had just been healed. The Lord knew who it was. Mark and Luke give a little more detail. So it's not unusual for all the details not to be given by one writer at a particular time. But we know that that passage in Luke 21, verses 23-24 20 answer the first question of the disciples and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh." Notice this is specific. Notice also that it is relevant to the hearers, those that hear it. When you, when you see this, flee, verse 21, and woe in verse 23. Note that the word desolation here that is used not to be compared Um, are to be associated with the abomination of desolation found in verse 15. There are two different events. Um, So the Lord is there referring to when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem. That's when the temple was destroyed. There wasn't left one stone on top of another. The walls of Jerusalem were were taken down. The the, the houses were flattened. And it even tells us that the Romans did indeed plough when Josephus in his book, he mentions that they ploughed it. Uh, so it was a complete devastation. All stones so flattened to the ground. So the Lord indeed does answer the first um, question of the disciples, not in the Matthew account, but in the Luke account. But it's the same period of time. It's exactly the same period, it's the same event, it's just that God the Holy Spirit has been pleased to guide Mark to record this and to get Luke to record this and that. And who are we? Who are we to um, um, dictate how scripture should be written? Now these scriptures in Luke's Luke's Gospel, and and I'm leaving them for you to read yourselves and answer what will happen. Notice in verse 22 in Luke's Gospel, 21, it gives us, for these be the days of vengeance. So, there's not a second advent. It's the days of vengeance which were written Um, in Hosea 9 verse 7 the days of visitation are come the days of recompense are come so it's the vengeance there against Israel the nation the city of Jerusalem for unfaithfulness and that's confirmed again if you have time to look later in Luke 19 Verses 41 through 44. There's another clue there. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So, we saw this afternoon that began with Nebuchadnezzar and it will end with the second advent. So we are in the times of the Gentiles now. Jerusalem itself was trodden down so right i'm going to trim this down a little um, because we want to get to the um, part where we're dealing with yeah so we'll leave that um, i'm just conscious of the time now um the lord answers the the second question and uh, that's kind of verse 30. what shall be the sign of your coming um, And then there shall appear the sign of the Son of man in heaven. Notice only then, and that will be a visible appearance. Um, So, I really wanted to say all that to say this, that now that we've established that the Lord answers the first question in Luke's gospel, it means that We have a definite starting point because there are those that believe that verses 3 through 14 deal with a period from the time that our Lord left the earth in his first coming to the destruction of Jerusalem they believe that all those things can be fitted into that period including all the world hearing the preaching of the gospel. And I've read that, and I've heard those messages, that they can squeeze all those events into what is arguably AD 33 to AD 70. And people believe that. But now that we've established that the beginning point, that the destruction of Jerusalem answers the first question, we have our starting point, our definite starting point, and then we have the duration from AD 70 up to the Lord's second advent, the end time definite point, and so all those things like the relationships of people to people, deception in Matthew 24, um, nation to nation, war, relationship of God to the world physical, natural events, the relationship of authorities to believers, hatred, the relationship of Christendom to God, coldness, verse 13, the relationship of believers to God, perseverance, verse 13. All those things are age-long. From the time of our Lord Jesus until the end of this age Right, I think um, we shall need to leave it there. Uh, I'll
1: just mention
0: that the Lord answers the question three, when shall the end of the age be? Well, it's immediately after the tribulation. And, you know, those that hold that verses 3 through 14 of Matthew 24 is... In the time of the Roman invasion, also take all this. They do not see the second advent until <coughs> way after verse 31. And they do not see the tribulation. But the Lord says, immediately after the tribulation, the sun's darkened supernaturally, the moon shall not give its light, astral phenomenon towards the earth, heaven shaken, the Son of Man in the heavens. In the mourning of the nations and in verse 30, the the second advent itself. So I sought through these things to say that the temple of necessity has to be rebuilt because it is there in those three crucial passages of Scripture. And we cannot take these passages out of Scripture out of their context or out of their beginning and duration. They have to be within there. If we do, do that, then we're wrestling Scripture out of what it means and wrestling Scripture to make it mean what we want it to mean. Whereas I think, as you've seen, what I've done tonight, I've left everything, everything in its context. And just giving us some simple, which I believe are divine formulas for understanding these scriptures. The temple will be rebuilt. It will be a physical temple. Um, There is another temple, the temple of Ezekiel. That's a message for another day. Thank you.